Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. series on why we love the local church. I'm not sure if it's true for you as it is for me, but I, I've grown in my love for the church as we looked at God's Word together and just talked about some of these fundamental principles again and, and blessings. I'm thankful for the men the Lord's given the church. I'm thankful for um, the other men who have preached through this series and helped us to exalt Christ in, in, in their exposition of God's Word. And I'm thankful to be back um, teaching this morning. Today I want to talk to you about something that is very, very important. About a month or so ago, I went to listen to this expert who was talking to parents about the dangers of social media. The dangers of social media. She was explaining about how what happens at this young age where the teens are, are on all these social accounts, how they are actually building up for themselves this digital CV. And how what they post even now at this young and, let's say, tender age, ends up influencing even their job opportunities in the future. She spoke about the danger about how people lure children out on these platforms to abuse them. And she learned, she was talking about how this younger generation of people, like, I mean, most of us, we're on Facebook, right? That is not even true for the young ones anymore. So many other social platforms that they find themselves on. And our gut response to all these dangers that, that lurk, in this world that we're living is that we just want to keep our kids from them. We want to cut them off from these platforms. But then she said something very true. She said the world is constantly changing. And we need to help our kids process this change. And the reality is that we all face Changes every day. The world that you and I are living in right now and functioning in right now is not the same world 20 years ago. It's not the same world as 10 years ago. I mean, I just had a conversation with a dad the other day and he was trying to process what kind of books his daughter could read. She was reading the series and now the newest one in this series is about these two dragons and it ends up that these two dragons in the story have a relationship with each other. And he was trying to think, in this crazy world that we live in, what is a good book for my daughter to read? Because the striking reality is that even the narrative of the books that our kids can read is changing with the culture around us. I mean, we can see it in the political climate, can't we? 
This country is changing. And we don't know what's going to happen in the next elections. And maybe for you, that can cause a bit of anxiety. As we think about the future of South Africa and Zimbabwe and all these other countries. No matter where you turn, change is taking place. I mean, think of the change when people must leave their homes and come to study at the university here and they're in a completely new province, they're in a completely new context, and for the first time they are here in this new city all by themselves. Lives change when people are moving toward marriage. And the implications of what that means in living with someone else. Lives change when your family grows and the, the Lord blesses you with more children. And lives change when those children end up leaving their home, taking their own journey. Many of them even going abroad, living in other countries. Which means relationships change over time. Sometimes for the better. And other times people start to grow apart. And unfortunately, this kind of thing is happening more and more in marriages all around us. Where instead of asking, how are you? You might want to ask, who are you? We think of the busyness of life and the demands of careers and all these responsibilities that we have and just being able to put food on the table. Instead of sitting around that very table that you're trying to provide for with the loved ones you have, life has become so demanding that families don't even get to eat together anymore. The dynamics of life are constantly changing. Even if you look at Scripture, even if you look at Scripture, you see that in the future, there is going to be a great change that takes place when the whole world is made new. The new heavens and the new earth are coming. Change is a reality. But even with all this change that is going on around us, our text for today is encouraging us to recognize that we can find and face this, this changing culture and the world around us. How? How? By faith in someone who never changes. By faith in someone who never changes. Take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to focus your attention specifically on verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13, with our emphasis for today being on verse 8. And what does verse 8 say? I want you to read it in your Bibles. The author of Hebrews says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what has changed in your life, and what is going to change in your life, no matter how desperate the situation or how painful the suffering no matter what other people have done or will do, one thing is always certain and true, and that is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
And to help us appreciate this amazing statement about our Savior, I want us to read from the start of chapter 13 to give us some of the context. The author of Hebrews is coming toward the end of the letter that he has written to these Jewish Christians who are facing some significant spiritual and physical challenges. And he wants to end the letter with some practical instructions on how God's people are to live the Christian life. So read with me from Hebrews chapter 13 and we'll start in verse 1. He writes, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, and as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led astray or led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We'll stop there. You see, if you are familiar with the book of Hebrews, then you will know that one of the main goals of the letter is to show us that in relation to the Old Testament law and all the ceremonies and rituals, how Jesus is superior in every way. How He is the great high priest who is the final sacrifice for our sins. And so here at the end of the letter, the author is getting into some practical stuff that leads out of all of that truth. Stuff like spending time with other people and showing hospitality. He talks about the freedom of, from the love of money. He's talking about marriage relationships and purity. And then if you read verse 8 about the unchangingness of Jesus, it might seem like this random, disconnected thought that the author gives as he's talking about all these practical details about the Christian life. But if you look at verse 7, the one just before it, and the one right after it in verse 9, then you can pick up some of the clues to why verse 8 might be where it is and why it's so amazing. In verse 7, he is giving this exhortation, this encouragement. The people are commanded to do what? To remember their former leaders, and their way of life. In other words, the church needs leaders whose teachings are worth remembering and whose life is worth imitating. And some are worth remembering and some are not. The ones who are worth remembering are the ones who spoke to them the word of God. The ones who taught them the gospel and the truth about the Bible. And the fact that they need to remember them indicates that these leaders have moved on. 
they are no longer with them. In other words, there's been change in their relationships. And it could be that some of these leaders are no longer with them because they have moved on to eternal glory. Because of being persecuted for their faith. The overall context of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were suffering for their faith and feeling the pressure to revert back to Judaism. Which means some leaders have proclaimed the truth, they have come and gone. And even today, leaders in the church will come and go. Leaders will be with us, and they'll have a special influence in our lives, and then they will be gone. But verse 8 then says that, even with all this change, there is a constant. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today and forever. Even as other leaders come and go, Jesus is the constant that we know and we proclaim. Then if you look at verse 9, you see the warning. There's a warning. The contrast. That false teachers strive to lead Christians astray with their new and improved teaching. Again, the overall context of Hebrews is helpful here because what's happening is that some people can get so focused on the laws and the rules... That they forget who Jesus is and what He has done. The Jewish believers were confronted with certain food laws again. And people were forgetting how Jesus changes the way they should relate to these laws. But then look at what the author says here in verse 9. What does he say the struggling believer needs? There in the middle of verse 9. More laws. More rules. He says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by what? By grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. The struggling heart needs grace. It doesn't need all these external rituals and to do more and more and more. And the same is true for us, isn't it? Someone who's struggling with their faith and their fight against sin and discouragement, who feels like a failure, doesn't need teaching that points him to more rules to keep. The author says the remedy for the heavy heart is grace. And that grace is found by looking back at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The strength we need doesn't come from external behavior. The strength we need comes from the one who is faithful and who does not change. Because what you and I need to help us avoid this kind of false teaching that wants to pervert the truth of the gospel is meditating and cementing this truth, this declaration of verse 8 in our hearts. Our Savior never changes. Now, Verse 8 might be the reason for verse 7 or the grounds for verse 9. But ultimately, this verse stands as a glorious declaration about the truth everyone has always needed and will always need. And what you and I need to function in a changing world is to look to our unchanging Savior. If we're going to make it in this changing world... We need to keep looking at our unchanging Savior. 
And so my goal for today is pretty simple. I want to give you three reasons why you can always trust Jesus, no matter where you are, what's happening in your life. Three reasons why you can always count on Jesus. And the first reason is because of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Because the first thing I want you to notice is the name or the person, the author of Hebrews says, never changes. He uses the name Jesus Christ. And this is not an accident. He's specifically referring to Jesus as Jesus Christ. In fact, he only uses his name for our Savior three times in the letter. The first time he uses it, uses it is in Hebrews 10 verse 10. He writes and says, by, And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And the emphasis here is on Jesus being our complete Savior. That in Hebrews, later down in Hebrews 13.21, the author is asking God to equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us. That which is pleasing in His sight. How, you ask? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, here the name of Jesus Christ indicates that He is our source of strength. He is the one that will give us the strength to do the will of God. And then back here in Hebrews 13, 8, He's using the name Jesus Christ as well to help us Believe and trust that Jesus is the one that will sustain us. Because we know the name Jesus indicates His humanity, right? This name makes us think of the person Jesus. Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua, which means what? Bible trivia. What does the name Jesus Joshua mean? That's right, Yahweh is salvation. And this is not exactly what the angel said to Joseph, Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Which means Jesus is our way out of sin. Jesus is our way out of guilt. Jesus is our way out of shame. Jesus is our way out of death and eternal condemnation. In fact, during that time, people would also give their sons the name of Jesus to express their faith in the promise of God to bring salvation to His people. And so the name Jesus helps us to appreciate that our Savior became just like us. He humbled Himself and took on human nature to be the sinless one that would rescue us from our sins. But I'm pretty sure we all know that Christ is not His surname, right? I'm pretty sure you know that where the name Jesus identifies our Savior with humanity, Christ refer, refers to His divine office. Christ means Messiah and Anointed One. In other words, Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah King that the Old Testament has been promising. 
And scripture then indicates that he holds the final threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. We see it in Hebrews 1.1, that he's the final prophet, right? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You see, all these other prophets have been pointing to this one final great prophet. And not only does he bring the final word of God to us, he is the final word of God to us. We don't need any extra revelation. If I want to know the will of God, then I can change to turn to his unchanging word. As the final priest, he is the one that gives us access to God. Because you see, the problem with Aaron and his sons are coming from the tribe of Levi, where that all these priests who were in the Old Testament, these guys were sinners. Just like you and me, they have a sin problem. Which means we need a priest who was sinless, perfect. And Christ is the one who is the sinless, righteous priest that intercedes for us before the Father. Which means we don't need any other priests to secure for us access before the Father. We have access to His throne of grace through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. But then He also holds the position of king. Jesus is the king of the kingdom that He came to proclaim. He is the king who sits on the throne of David. He is the king who is advancing heaven's agenda. And just like we don't need any other prophet or priest, we don't need another king. He's the one seated at the right hand of God. He's the one that is ruling and reigning through all this change that we see around us in this world right now. And so the name of Jesus Christ is significant because John says, John 14, 6, Jesus said to us, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why is this name so significant? Because it's the name above all other names. It's the name of our Savior. And if you want to be sure about your relationship with God and the understanding of His Word, to have access to Him, to have Him rule your heart, then you must put your complete faith in Jesus. And Him alone. So why can you always count on Jesus? Because of who He is. He's our ultimate Savior. He's our ultimate source of truth. He's our ultimate High Priest. And He is our ultimate King. But now the author of Hebrews says, you can trust Him because He never changes. The second reason why you can always count on Jesus is because Jesus never changes. I mean, again, our text says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. Now, when we think of who Jesus is yesterday, we don't actually have to wonder what He is like, right? 
When the author of Hebrews is talking about yesterday, he's not just simply referring to the day that was before yesterday, or before today. He's referring to the days of his flesh. Look at Hebrews 5 verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cry, cries and tears. Yesterday is referring to the time Jesus was with us on earth. And do you know what Jesus was like while He was with us on earth? Do you know the God-man that was moving between the people? Luke 4 tells us that He got His hands on the scroll of Isaiah. And He goes into the synagogue with all these religious people and He starts to read the scroll which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, the people were actually familiar with these words. They knew the Old Testament. But what they were not expecting is Luke 4.21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so what do we see Jesus Christ doing as He moves among the people? He's restoring the sight of the blind. He's setting captives free. He's moving with compassion towards those who are on the outside. He's touching the untouchables. He's loving the unlovables. He's hanging out with people which annoy the religious leaders of His day. And as people were getting close to Him, they get overwhelmed with His humility. They experience His gentleness and they marveled at His wisdom and care. And that's why people knew they could go to Him. They would open up their hearts to Him and tell them their needs. Because knowing who Jesus is causes us to entrust ourselves to Him. Knowing who Jesus is causes us to entrust ourselves to Him. But do you know who He is? It causes us to go to Him with our sorrows, our pain, our secrets, and our disappointments. In Luke 7, we read of a woman who had lost her son. And she was already a widow. Now she has lost her son as well. And Jesus is drawing closer to the gate of this town where this dead son and of this woman was brought. And then he looks at her. Luke 7 verse 13 and says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Do not weep. Jesus understands that what this woman is going through in this moment. He is moved by her sorrow. And because of his compassion for her, what does Jesus do? He raises her son from the dead. And how do the people respond when they see all of this? The text says they recognize that there's a great prophet that was in their midst. In Matthew 20, we see Jesus was going out of Jericho by this time, to, followed by this great crowd where all these people are following him. And then we read in verse 30 onwards, it says, And behold... There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. 
And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered the sight and followed him. You see, these blind men recognized that the son of David was in their midst. The promised king was in their presence, and so they cry out for his mercy. And Jesus responds by opening up their eyes. And so, do you see, we don't have to wonder what Jesus was like. The Bible shows us again and again, he was gracious toward the weak, compassionate and full of mercy toward the broken. And full of love, because what ends up happening to the son of David? He displays his love for us that while we were still sinners, he goes to the cross of Calvary, the cross that was meant for you and me. And he suffers and dies for us. Jesus, oh, great prophet, priest and king, is humiliated and shamed so that we don't have to be. And the author of Hebrews is saying that His blood is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All of it. Even the unrighteousness from this morning. And the unrighteousness that is coming tomorrow. Because this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today is not talking about the present It's not just that. It's talking about the time between when Jesus first came and when He's coming again. And where where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus today? Exalted in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. He is no longer humiliated and shamed because our King is glorified. But here's the thing. Even though he was raised from the dead and is now glorified in heaven, does not mean that he has changed in himself. He is still the Jesus of yesterday. He is still the Jesus of the Gospels. He is still the Jesus that is compassionate towards sinners. He is still the Jesus that shows mercy to sinners. So just think about your past week. What were you like on Monday? Was it the same as Friday? How about five years ago? Are you still the same? People change all the time, but Jesus is the same yesterday and today. And the Jesus that stepped into our world yesterday and transformed people's lives is still doing that today. The same Jesus that brought people out of eternal misery by His grace is sustaining them today by His grace. I like how Spurgeon says it. He says it well. It's folly to think that the Lord provides grace for every trouble but the one you are in today. 
And so in a sense, Hebrews 13.8 is challenging all of us to trust that Jesus is still the same today. Do you really believe it? Maybe you're struggling with that ongoing sin. Can Jesus help you? Maybe these thoughts in your mind, I've sinned too much, Jesus mustn't like me anymore. I wouldn't like me anymore. But you know what? Jesus doesn't like you. He loves you. And so can we imagine for a moment what it would be like if Jesus did change? What if Jesus did change? Can you think of the fear that will create in our relationship with Him? All the doubt whether you can approach Him or not. All the concerns whether He loves you or not. All the temptation to think He has given up on you because He's angry with you because you keep on sinning and failing. Can you think of how desperate we would be if He wasn't interceding for us? If His Word wasn't our final guide and authority, if we could not even get to preaching Jesus because He keeps on changing. But the joy for us is there's no fear that Christ is different now or will be different in the future because His Word affirms to us today, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the technical word for all of this is immutable. In fact, this is not just something we learn about Jesus, is it? The unchangingness of God is all over the Bible. Think of Malachi 3 verse 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And so to say that Jesus doesn't change is to say that Jesus is God, right? In fact, while Jesus was talking to all these religious guys... They were getting confused about how he was relating himself to Abraham. In John 8:57, they asked, "Are you not yet 50 years old and have you and you have seen Abraham?" And then Jesus says to them, "What? Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." I am we know is the covenant name that God revealed to Moses where Back in the burning bush, back in Genesis, right? And now Jesus is blaspheming according to these Jews, claiming that He is God, that He is the great I Am. And what we are willing to, what these guys are willing to stone Jesus for back then, that is the very truth that we need every single day. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Which means, as one man says, his holy character will not change. His righteous standards will not change. His eternal purposes will not change. His saving power will not change. His steadfast love toward you and me will not change. His sovereign authority over this world will not change. And what's amazing is this is true forever. It's true forever. Where yesterday and today give us this emphasis on the continuity of Jesus, the word forever helps us now to see that Jesus will be like this 
always. Into all of eternity, as far as it can go. And so just think of how encouraging this should be to our hearts, because Jesus knows what you will do tomorrow. But that doesn't cause Him to love you any less. It doesn't cause Him to be less merciful. And we know that He rejoices over the good that we do. The good that He has prepared for us to walk in. We also know that He disapproves of our sinful behavior because He had to die for that sin. We know that He lovingly rebukes us and disciplines us so that we can trust that He is still holy. That He is still loving. That He is still for us and causing us to change as we behold the fact that He does not change. Which means if Jesus is truly your Savior and Lord, then He's not going to let you go. If He has saved you in the past, then He will sustain you in the present, and He will help you to make it to the end. And how do we know this is true? Well, the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since what? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, to the fullest extent, to the end of the age, to those who draw near to Him. Why? Because He is always, always, always making intercession for them. He never stops being the Savior. He never stops being the priest. He never stops being the King. And so no matter how discouraged you might be, what challenges you face right now, we must all believe Jesus Christ, say it with me, is the same yesterday and today and forever. I can count on Him always because the salvation I have in Him is secure for all eternity. Which brings us to our third and final reason for today, why you can always count on Jesus. First, because of who He is. Our incarnate, fully human, fully God, Savior, who is our eternal prophet, priest, and king. Second, because He never changes and and who He is and what He does. And now thirdly, because Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. The very fact that Jesus is who He is and the fact that He never changes means that He is totally trustworthy all of the time. You can count on Him all of the time. Hebrews explains that because of His humanity, He understands what we are going through, right? We know this. Such a... Important and famous passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, knowing who he is and what he keeps on doing and what he has done, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
Jesus knows the sin you're fighting with. He knows the pain you are going through. He knows the loss that you have incurred and the grieving you're experiencing. He knows what it's like to juggle work and family and all your finances. But isn't it amazing that we can trust Him in all of these areas because He never changes? Just think about what chapter 13 has been talking about. Back in verse 5, it talks about the freedom we can experience from the control of money. To be content with what we have. Why? Because Jesus said, I, the one who never changes, will never leave you nor forsake you. In verse 4, it talks about marriage relationships. We can trust in Jesus even when our marriages are not where they are supposed to be. Because He is the one constant in our lives. Him and His grace. Grace that reveals to us where things need to change. Grace that reveals to us what help there is for that change. And grace that He gives us and strengthens us with to be able to change. Same is true with our purity and holiness. See, the fact that Jesus never changes means that His perfect righteousness, which He has given to you when He died in your place, is the same perfect righteousness that you need to be able to stand before a holy God. And that righteousness never changes. Because Jesus never changes. What an amazing truth when you and I have failed again morally. And so as one man writes, and he says it so, so well. Yesterday he helped me. Today he did the same. How long will this continue forever? Praise his name. See, sometimes our fight against sin can cause us to feel like we're done. But perhaps it's because we are trying to change by ourselves. We think Jesus has changed. But no matter what direction you're heading, backwards or forwards, Jesus is always the same. Which means He's always faithful. Think of His promises. Because what this means is that when God makes a promise, it's a promise that you can bank on forever. You don't need some sort of updated version. A better version. Which means when God promised that He will save His people, He is going to do it. Romans 10, 13. When God promised that He will take care of us, He will do it. Philippians 4, 19. When God promised that He will satisfy us, He will do it because He is sufficient for us. Psalm 107, verse 9. It says this, For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Because when God promises that He will secure us, He's going to protect us no matter the cost. I mean, Jesus Himself said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. Believer, that is you. And so the question for you and me, as we think about this amazing declaration about our Savior, is do you believe He is trustworthy? Do you really believe He is sufficient, no matter what you are going through in your life right now? 
As things in your life are changing, do you believe Jesus is always reliable and trustworthy to process that change? Because the Jesus that was sufficient for Abraham is the same Jesus that is sufficient for you. The same Jesus that was sufficient for the Apostle Paul is sufficient for you. Which means even as we think about the future, the same Jesus that is sufficient for you is the same Jesus that is sufficient for your children. We can trust that Jesus will be there for our children, our family members, our friends, the people that we love and care about, even if we are no longer there because of who He is. Because He never changes. And because He is always trustworthy and faithful. So the final thought I want to leave with you is this. As we think about yesterday today and forever. We must recognize that the Bible teaches that Jesus loves you so much. That it's a love that was there before the foundations of the world. He loves you so much that He becomes man, going to a cross, suffering in your place, and He has no intention of changing. He will love you forever. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Let's pray. What a glorious truth, Father, that we can open up your word, your unchanging word, your sufficient word, and learn about our unchanging Savior. Father, we recognize the world that we are living in is constantly changing. We are met with challenges from all sides. And even as we process decisions and life choices and the hardships of life, Lord, we can know there's a constant. You are our constant. You promise to save us. You promise to sanctify us. You promise to glorify us. And this truth is not just precious to us now. It's precious for the ones we love. We can trust you with the past. We can trust you with the presence. We can trust you with the future. Thank you for this glorious declaration. Thank you for this never-changing truth. Thank you that we can find encouragement in our fight against sin. Thank you that we can find encouragement in our fight against grieving. To recognize that you are always with us. You always intercede for us, Jesus. And that will never change. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.